All right, everybody, welcome back to another episode of the Natureversity Podcast. Today, I am joined with Gabby Caraballo. Gabby is one of our Eagle instructors at Natureversity. So, Gabby, tell us your life story. How are you? I'm good. Thank yeah. you for having me, Chris. Yeah, yeah I'm thanks excited. For, for doing this. What uh, <laughs> what you been doing all day? Uh, wow. Well, first off, my name, like Chris said, is Gabby Caraballo. And, uh, man, what have we been doing today? So, Tuesdays at Natureversity. We brainstorm, we get materials together, we hang out with staff and continue to form good community with one another. And we were just going over lesson plans today, awesome activities that we can continue integrating with the kids throughout the school year. Um, Cam, my co-teacher and I, we uh, went over everything that we want to do this week from knife carving skills to all of the fun, uh, different uh, cuts that you can do on tri sticks, kicking it up a notch to, you know, making traps to using our knife skills to make jewelry to, you know, um, even to using tools like flint tools with the kids. Um, so yeah, that's what we did most of the day. It was really fun. Enjoyed it. Do you love your job? I love my job. Yeah. I don't think I've ever been in a job I didn't love, but I've definitely loved this one the most. What is it about it that you love the most? What do you love doing here? I love the community. I love the community in Austin when it comes to environmental education, but um, the staff that we have on this team are just so wholesome and so excellent. Um, but other than just loving who I work with, um, I love the kids. And the kids make it really fun, and uh, they bring new insights, new ideas every single day to work. And it really it keeps me going. It really does. So just just the kids and how excited they are to learn and how much they look up to us as teachers. And um, I think those those two in tandem, I can't pick which one is better about the job, the, the staff or uh, the teachers or the kids, truly. That's a good blend to have all three, right? I think, um, God, how many times have I said this on this podcast now? But if you know what Icky Guy is, I think I've talked about it three or four times. People who are listening to this are going to be like, God, that guy <laughs> talks about it all the time. But folks, if you're brand new to this podcast uh, and you don't know what Icky Guy is, I think Gabby's got her icky guy going on. So oh, if you can just follow along with me, listeners, you've got a big circle up top just below that one. You've got another that intersects it to the east and the west. You've got another. And when all four of those circles interact, you have what is called icky guy. And so here is in this top north circle, you have that which you are good at. In this east circle, you have that which you are passionate about. In this south circle, you have that which the world needs. And then over here, you have that which you can get paid for. When all those things come together, you've got ikigai, which is a Japanese word, I believe, meaning the Zen purpose for being. But I want our kids and our staff and everybody on this planet Earth to find their Zen purpose for being. So what do you think um, got you started down this path of educating others in the world of outdoor skills? Wow, that's a good question. Um well, I've always enjoyed being around others. And I, you know, there's two ways that people recharge is what one of my good friends, Colin, he always used to tell me, he said, when people get out of work, they either recharge by taking a nap and taking some solo time to reflect, or they recharge by being around others and being in community, laughing, hanging out, just enjoying um, good time with friends and family. And I think I'm that person. So I've always, you know, any, anywhere I've worked, I've always wanted to be in a community of people that's loud and rambunctious and excited. Um, and just as a kid, and especially in high school, when I started first getting into teaching um, up at a chemistry summer camp in uh, Fort Worth, I did that for about four consecutive summers. My mom worked at the university for a bit, and she had a good connection with uh, the dean of science, Dr. Rodriguez. And I'd been to that camp as a kid, and they were looking for more teachers, and they said, you know, we want outgoing, passionate people to come in and you know, help teach these kids chemistry and natural science concepts. And my mom was like, all right, I've got a kid. I've got a teenager that's, you know, really excited with talking to people and loves being around kids. And I think going into that, I, I didn't really know what I was in for. And I think looking back now, I um, didn't understand, of course, all the teaching concepts and behavioral concepts and things that, you know, you've taught us and that we know now. But um, I just think that that sparked a lot of love and creativity uh, within me that, you know, we at times naturally lose um, as we grow out of childhood and into teenage years and adulthood. And it just brought me back to that. And there's always been that side of me that's like, 
man, I just want to be like a kid. I, I always feel like a big kid. I never feel like I'm an adult. And these kids just accepted me with open arms and they wanted to learn from me and, and they taught me more than, than I ever taught them. But I realized that I do have a passion for speaking with others and that I do have a passion for just children in general and, and their wisdom and how they, they view things through such a different lens. It's like a kaleidoscope of colors where we see, you know, we tend to see black and white sometimes. They're just like, there's a million options. Um, so yeah, I think that really sparked my passion for yeah. teaching. Where were you born? I was born in, uh, Appleton, Wisconsin. Uh, go Appleton. If you know where that is Get and you've ever here, visited. <laughs> go Appleton. <laughs> what is that? You're in you, Austin, Texas. I know. I know. Just kidding. I know. But I bring, <laughs> I bring the Appleton spirit. I hope all of my Appletonians up there, if, if you know, I, my family ends up listening to any of this, I love you guys so much. But it seems like Appleton would be a city that's in Washington State, in Wisconsin. <laughs> it's in a weird spot too. Yeah, it seems it's it's got a very fancy ring to it, but it's actually just when I grew up there, it was it was a medium to smaller town, but now it's just huge. And I've met people across Texas that I'm like, they're like, where are you from? And I'm like, I'm from Wisconsin. Oh, visited what part? Appleton. Oh, awesome. I fly into. Uh, you know, Appleton International or whatever the airport really? is there. Although, oh yeah, a lot of people I've go there. It's so close. To, it's so close to Green Bay. So, oh, go okay. go Packers. Um, okay. And uh, I grew up there though. Um, it's a pretty big town now, but just in a suburb off of Oneida, eighteen eighteen North Oneida Street. Don't Google that. But that was my <laughs> first address. <laughs> you I don't know. Address on here. I do. I don't know why I remember. I remember the weirdest things. I still remember my childhood home. But no, I, I grew up there and. Uh, I had a really, you know, small front yard, but a huge backyard. And we had a, uh, a set of two very large pine trees in my backyard. And I used to go outside all the time with my brother just after school. We also had a park near me called Herb Park. And there was nothing to do except jump on our bikes and, and roll around. And my parents really enforced that a lot as a kid. It was like, all right, you're bored? Go outside. And they would give us all the tools and the resources. And, you know, it was all love kind of kicking us out the door sometimes. But I thank them for that in hindsight, because I grew up really just outside constantly in my backyard. And it's very, other than than the mosquitoes, it's very temperate, and there's not much to complain about up there. Are you an only child? I'm not. No, I have an older brother, um, two years older than me, named Zach. And uh, he was always a very rambunctious kid. He's, I mean, don't ask the staffers how rambunctious I am at work, but if you met him, you'd be like, this dude's blowing her way out oh, of the really? water. Oh, he's so I can loud. only imagine. He's hilarious, that. though. Yeah, he's a, he's a <laughs> funny dude. Um, he, uh, he was always, you know, wanting to run off with friends, and we were so close in age. I was like, you know, I want to hang out with Zach's friends. I want to go with Zach's friends. So I would always just run out the door after him, and he'd be like, oh, my little sister's coming. But we ended up doing everything together. And, uh, and yeah, that's it was fun why it was, it was so easy for you to just kind of make this adventurous transition as like a, like, I want to be inside. There's this desire, but also this grand desire to pull, you know, to go on an adventure with my big brother. Yeah. You say he's two years older? Two years older than me. Yep. Yeah, that's close. So yeah. He's, to. he's 24 and about to turn 25 and I'm about to turn 23s. And we, I mean, we did everything How together though. You are. I know I'm such a baby. I know. Just a baby. But no, he got me into so much stuff. Um, like when I was growing up, the our favorite thing to do together was to, you know, go to the racetrack. And uh, we had friends that would race motorcycles, uh, dirt bikes. And um, and my brother started getting into it and he got his first bike. And, you know, I just wanted to be like my older brother. And I was like, well, I want to do that, too. So from I think I was five, maybe going on six when I started to age about nine um, I raced motorcycles with my older brother. Wow. It was a good time. But that, that that's what I'm saying with like adventurous, crazy spirit. He really, um, him and my parents as well, we're all a rambunctious group. But uh, he really brought that out of me. He was a big inspiration for my childhood, most definitely. Now, when you say you were six to nine, I'm just envisioning like a little micro dirt bike. You being on like a little. <laughs> it was a little like, like 50. I was going to say it can't tiny. be like a 125 or no, something like. But it was it was decked out. It was hot pink. I had a, I oh, was I yeah. had a sponsor, uh, a Starlet. St oh, yeah. Pink no helmet. Way. Starlet Boots. racing was my. Oh, the no way. Thing. I'll have to bring up photos? a picture. Oh, yeah, okay. I'll, I'll bring one up sometime. Uh, they're on my computer. I'll, I'll bring one to work. People will be like, what? That's you. And I'll be like, yeah, you can tell it's me too and i'm just like ripping nice. um but you it was it was too? fun 
Uh, yeah, some home videos. Definitely, my dad. My dad, you know, running around the course with his home video camera, trying to catch his, you know, kids going through their practice runs and everything. And you know, my brother's up front, like racing like crazy. We didn't always race together because he was a little older, had a little bit bigger bike. But during practices, um, I mean, everybody was out there, young and small. So you, as a kid, you had to be careful because you'd have the twelve, thirteen year olds out there just just soaring through whoops, just jumping tabletops, and you're like barely getting over the top of it. I remember one time I was so scared to go up a a ramp. I just sat at the bottom, and I started crying and crying, crying. My dad's like, I see him lumbering across the track with his arms up in the air, and he's like, what are you doing? And I'm like, I'm scared, Dad. I was like, I don't want to go. And he looked me in the eyes like, you got to do this. He's like, you you either do this or you quit. What do you want to do? And I was like, well, I don't want to quit. And he's like, well, then I'm pushing you up. And I got put And as you know, as soon as you do something as a kid, that seems so scary. And it's really not, you get over that, over that hill. And you're like, oh man, yeah. you know what? I just needed a little bit of support. It was actually super easy. It was probably a lot of fun. It was a blast. When, um, you know, you're going up there. Have you ever like hit these jumps? Have you ever hurt yourself? Like when you were younger? Yeah, I actually got in a bad wreck when I was, uh, eight. I believe I was about eight years old and I um, broke my uh, right arm just below the shoulder, like real bad, you know, like, what did you do? I fell off a big ramp, fell off a big berm. So there was a day track and a night track at uh, this um, course up in Fort Worth called Village Creek. And uh, yeah, it wasn't, it was, I think I was on the day track actually, because the day (laughs) track was on a hill. I don't know why they (laughs) built this thing into like a steep hill. But they did, and I I just went up around the curve, um, and I got into a rut, and this other kid, I was, like, second or third. We were just, like, practicing, though, and he got his handlebar, like, stuck in my bike, and I just, like, you know, overcorrected real hard and steered the other way, and I literally just went through the through the rail. Last thing I saw in the distance was, like, this massive live oak tree, and then I just, like, blackout. Whoa. Did you, you hit the tree? I didn't, no, just in the distance. Oh, ah. my gosh. Well, that would have been a story. It's like, oh that's how I came dang. to nature, because I realized that trees are... <laughs> can be wrathful smashed into an oak tree (laughs) thankfully not no but i did land on my handlebar so i lacerated my liver as well wow yeah and i broke my arm okay that's serious yeah it was intense i woke up at the bottom of the hill you're eight years old with a broken arm and a lacerated liver. yeah and my brother broke his back once and he kept going so i was like dang it i quit but i mean they they told me like you know there's risks to this my parents knew that too and they just wanted us to be involved in something that we were really excited about what could have possibly lacerated your liver it was the handlebar it, it went like in. went. It didn't like puncture my skin, but it went deep enough into wow. my side. And your liver is so tender. Do you think it like poked tender. into like a rib or like it a was just spinal? it was it was like in and up. So it just like uh. like went deep into my Jesus. skin. Didn't really puncture my skin, but left an awful bruise. And it, it just I mean your liver is so tender, but it's also so self regenerative and and wow. very strong. So it just naturally tore about 60 70 percent so i actually didn't even need to get surgery it healed on it i was in the icu for about a week um but then after that they released me you know they got me in my hot or my neon pink cast and all my friends signed in they're like you're so cool i was like i know did anybody write break a liver on it <laughs> no but they should have <laughs> that's bad <laughs> but it was yeah it was a, it was a crazy time that was like the highlight of my childhood other than that we were outside all the time like camping rolling around the state and you know my grandparents rv favorite campground ever if you ever visit um central wisconsin castle campground they've got an awesome ice cream truck and it's 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 in a very beautiful area with tons of natural lakes so we were just outside all the time checking things out picking up little insects and you know, all sorts of little critters. I remember one time I brought a, um, I think this was the worst one because I was known as the kid that would come back to the camper with some animal in my hand, whether it was a butterfly, crickets, something. And they were usually um, dead. And I brought back a, a deceased rat. And I was like, five at the time so my mom was like yeah we need to get some education going on here we can't be grabbing dead rats and bringing back some bubonic plague <laughs> yeah i was the one who started that by the way but I'm yeah just kidding everyone i know that comes from fleas well so you gave up after the lacerated liver you gave up the moto x is that what it's called yeah what is that called? Uh, mx motocross motocross yeah um and you didn't ever do it again I didn't. I can still go out to the tracks, and um, I've got a couple friends that still race sometimes or just ride around, and they have little pit bikes, and I'll be like, that's mine. I'll take that. 
Yeah. Um, and they take the, the big bikes. But no, I'm not, I'm never getting back into that again. But I still love the race culture. Um, still love the people that are out at the track. They're full of fun, full of life. And uh, yeah, it was a good time. That's fun. Yeah, I never did anything like that. I'm trying to think of like the worst situation I've ever been on. And like, a, it's probably just a BMX bike. I like made my own ramps. You know, those oh, like, videos yeah. of people trying to make their own ramps. You just like crash. The ramp just breaks. Yeah. And you just, like, fly <laughs> that was down. you. That was me all the time. <laughs> I think my friend uh, Ben Lane Gordon and maybe a couple of other friends of mine who would remember this. I think we were actually behind Ben's house and I hit this ramp and I just, you know, when you're like top heavy and you lean forward and that yeah. front front wheel just bites into the earth and mm-hmm. flings you forward and dents your forks and does all that. That's what happened to me. And I was like, I'm not doing anything with Moto X after this bike. Done. <laughs> I maybe, maybe it was just, I didn't have the money to do anything Moto X. Um, cause that stuff's expensive. It is. But, uh, yeah, I'm glad to hear that you were okay enough to continue on and that you learned that lesson of hmm, maybe this isn't for me. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. But some people go ham when they get injured like that. They jump on top of that. I'm going to show this thing something else. I think bull riders and surfers are like that. Oh, yeah. They get thrown off all the time. They're like, whatever, I'll jump yeah. right back on It's this. all adrenaline. They live They live for it. Yeah, the yeah. people out of the track, they could, they'll get flown off their bikes and smashing the, I mean then they're fully you know geared up and they have helmets and stuff on too but they'll like roll over they'll tumble like six seven times and just get back up and run over their bike start it back up and keep going I'm like it takes a lot of a lot of work a lot of guts to just like get hit so hard in any sport in any extreme sport too it just takes a lot of guts yeah they always say you know the most dangerous sports are the ones where you're you know barreling forward at high velocity with your head you know leading everything right so like moto x and things like that. You shouldn't be doing that, but I get it, man. As somebody who's gotten on a bike and gone pretty fast, it's really addicting. Did you do any other sports growing up that you got injured in? Uh, Or just any in general? I'm curious. No, I skateboarded a lot. Um, I played high school baseball for like a season, maybe not even a game. Um, I think I was on the team and then I was just like, I'm not going to do something else. (laughs) And then, but I did play a lot of baseball growing up just like in general, but not anything in high school. And, uh, no, I don't, I'm trying to think. I just skateboard a lot. I broke my ankle and my foot, uh, my hand, a couple of other things, skateboarding, but no, I was always like, not going to do super dangerous things. Yeah. And like smashing my head against the ground. One time I blacked out. Oh, I thought, I thought I cracked my head open from skateboarding. Oh, jeez. Yeah, that happened. Well, not head, but with my my knee last year on uh, my birthday, actually. I got in a bad wreck on uh, South Congress here in Austin. What were you doing? In the neighborhoods. I was longboarding. I was <laughs> <laughs> And was I was, I didn't know how to, I literally bombed a hill. in yeah. freaking Congress. Well, I had an old, <laughs> like, longboard. down there. It was terrible. I had an old boy. It was in the neighborhood next door, but I would I would zip across. Sit in the day? Congress. Yeah, it was during the day. Oh, I no. was, it was what a mess. Was it a weekend? It was. It was like a Thursday. I was still in college at the time, and I was like, you know, it's my birthday, and I want to, I want to do something fun, just solo today. So I took my new board. Shout out to my dad for helping me get the whole setup. He longboarded and skateboarded and stuff when he was young, so he's always been really into supporting me with that. But got a whole new deck, whole all new trucks, wheels, the whole setup, and I was like, I'm gonna take this one for a spin. And I just went too fast. I didn't know how to carve much at the time, and. Went way over a ramp and just bailed, but I didn't bail into grass. I bailed into a concrete ramp. It just jumped me like 15 (laughs) miles an hour, and I busted my knee open. I was bleeding everywhere, and I was like, oh, my gosh, I'm all alone. And then, thankfully, it was right outside of a church, so... I, I actually uh, blacked out temporarily, and I opened my eyes up, and there was the uh, pastor of the church over me, and, I, and and he was just like, are you okay? And I was like, oh, I you think you blacked out. I was like, you said, yeah. It was just shock. It was only for probably about, I kind of was sitting against like some Whoa. hedges, and I kind of just leaned back. Someone you else had already- head. I really could have, yeah. It was a big wake-up call. I still get a little shaky on a longboard these you days. You need no helmet on? No. Knee, knee pads, pads? Not elbow a thing. pads? Zero. Wrist guards? None. Gabby, you're brave. <laughs> I'm a fool. I'm not, <laughs> I'm not brave. Oh man. I didn't say that. <laughs> <laughs> I didn't. Um wait, but you'd mentioned you were in college. Where'd you go to college? I went to uh college up in northwest Austin at Concordia University, Texas. It's a small private school. Um there's a couple different Concordias across the country, but 
Is Concordia like faith based? It is faith based. Yeah. So it's a Lutheran college. Um, I grew up Lutheran. Um, It wasn't necessarily my reason for going there, but they ended up giving me a great scholarship for being Lutheran. They are also just amazing at giving scholarships in general. So it was a wonderful experience going there. Beautiful campus. Absolutely amazing place. Yeah. What did you study? I uh, studied environmental science and conservation. So I got my bachelor of science in that. And then I minored in writing. Mm. Yeah. Where and how you just went for four years? I just went for four years. Just nice. got just got my undergrad. Yep. Well, when you say <clears throat> I'm always so curious because I didn't go to college. When you say you studied environmental science in college, like what does that look like? Like what is what what were you doing? Like what say like your first class? Are they like, Okay, we're gonna go outside and catch butterflies with nets? <laughs> It is a liberal arts school, so I oh, know that a lot no. of people. I know, so I'm a lot of kidding, that's what a lot of people I'm picture, definitely. But it, but uh, there was some times we were outside um, handling wildlife. Yeah, it. My first course was Intro to Environmental Science. Go figure. And uh, it had an Intro to Environmental Science lab, but that really did spark my interest in that in that um, in that field because when I originally went into college, I actually wanted to be a nutritionist or at least a dietitian. And then I realized that I had to go the pre-nursing route to do that. And it just wasn't in my cards at the time. Yeah, they didn't just offer a nutrition degree. Um, hmm. But I probably should have done a little bit more research before I could have seen that. Um, but I think it was a, a divine calling to go to something else. Like I really do think that it was um, meant to happen that way because I absolutely loved my degree plan. I loved the classes I took. I took um, like watershed management, wildlife management, natural resources, conservation, native plants, botany, zoology. I mean, you name any of the niche and, science fields and I took a course in it. And when y'all were in those courses, what again, what, is they, what do they look like? Is it like lab? Just like enlighten me here because I never went to college. Yeah, no, I got it. Um, yeah, it's, it's lab. It's lab paired with curriculum. Um, and because of the small class sizes, it was actually a really um, good uh, intimate professional setting for learning. So I could just, you know, have open conversations with my professors and they are, were extremely knowledgeable, but yeah, a lot of note taking, a lot of memorization, test taking. Um, and then we would go outdoors and reinforce that a lot of that knowledge was stuff that was on the campus. And for those that aren't familiar with Concordia's campus, um, it used to be a uh, schlumberger, like an old oil manufacturing headquarters, um, uh, many years ago, but we bought it, Concordia bought it in, I believe like 2006 and they used to have a campus downtown <clears throat> near, uh, UT sold that area to, uh, or that campus to St. David's medical center, moved up to Northwest Austin, Schlumberger's headquarters off the back of it actually had a 250 acre tract of the Balcones Canyon land preserve. Wow. So I oh, beautiful was stoked. It, it, I mean, when my parents first visited, I was their first child to go to college and my dad never really went and my mom went, but she went to a technical college. Um, and so this was their first experience for their kids, at least seeing a private university. Um, and my dad was like, this place looks like summer camp because the whole campus is in the middle of an ash juniper and oak woodland. I mean, it's way back in, into the woods and then right on this um, um, plateau, kind of this like cliff ledge before you drop into this beautiful canyon so it's very lush very wooded out there and an excellent place to go to school to study environmental science because just outside your door is like the entire lab you would ever need right at your fingertips which was great well that's good i'm glad you're saying all that because it seems to be like the place to go is texas state for Mm -hmm. environmental sciences or wildlife biology or conservation work so i'm glad that there's other people out there who are you know because if you're only getting funneled through one you know, institution of education, then you're probably, your, your knowledge and resources are probably limited. So I'm glad right. to hear that we've got our, some of our staff are from Texas state. Some of our staff mm-hmm. are from Concordia now. Some of our staff are from university of Tennessee, Kent state. We mm-hmm. have old people from all over the place. So it's pretty cool. Um, when you were there, what was, what was one of your favorite classes that you got to take? I think my favorite course Overall, or like at least the most transformational course for me when I kind of realized that I have, you know, a lot more passions other than just nature and environmental science was my creative writing course. Um, It was absolutely phenomenal. My professor at the time was uh, Dr. Utsinger, who is now the Dean of English and Learning um, at Concordia. 
and just developed a really great professional relationship with him. He was a, like one of my first mentors that wasn't, you know, in my family's like the first people you, you know, start to look up to. You remember those people. And he inspired me to get the tattoo I have on my right arm that says show, don't tell. Um, because it was the first, I think it was like the first or second day of our creative writing class. And he said, if you take anything away from, you know, what you need to remember when you're writing, it's that you need to think in images and you need to show, don't tell. And he said, don't forget show, don't tell. Get it tattooed if you have to. And everybody kind of laughed. And I was just like, you know what? I will. Like oh I just thought in my mind. I know I'm How one. Of, I'm one of those. <laughs> eighteen. Oh, you were you <laughs> yeah, right when just, you turned eighteen. It was right. It was right after what? I turned eighteen. I know. Don't but, worry, it, but I've got eighteen year old regretful tattoos <laughs> myself. Yeah, I've got a piece of cheese on the other arm. But oh, that's, that's for justified because you're from Wisconsin. <laughs> True. Okay. Well, I'm glad. Thanks for thanks for saying that. But uh, it was a really transformational course for me and opened the door to a lot of great opportunities that I had on campus to speak at a couple different lecture events that I had, um, well, that, that were going on on campus, some like endowed chair, you know, donations that were made, um, to create a big lecture series on like nature poetry and, uh, nature writing and all, all sorts of different, like nature based, like writing is like a big consortium thing. And I got to speak as like a keynote student speaker at that. And that like really changed how I viewed like public communication and, um, you know, the writing and environmental science community and how they're actually so intertwined. And people don't really, you know, see that or know that, but there's so, I mean, you look at all all the great poets of past, Henry David Thoreau, like just one of the most common examples. And uh, um, like writing about nature, writing about being outdoors and how important that is for the soul and how important that is for health and just the beauty and aesthetics of it and the beauty and aesthetics of animals and creatures, how we're all connected. So it, it really, I realized like, oh, wow, I want to be an environmental journalist someday or I want to be in like some form of nature writing or some form of like education about nature because like that is the, I feel like the most important element to getting, I mean, if we're going to go back to, you know, nature versity stuff, which I'd love to, um, like getting these kids outside is my ultimate goal in life because I had people that transformed the way that I was thinking about the world through nature and through the teachings and naturalist studies and realizing that I'm a part of this system and that a lot of my problems that I had or could have had growing up were solved or could have been solved by just going outside and learning about the world around me. And so I think that's kind of was the turning point for me. And I was like, I want to be in education. I want to be an environmental educator. Um, but yeah, that was a lot. But yeah, that's really what, it was a wonderful time. It was a wonderful experience to go to school there. Um, great faculty there. And uh, yeah, it really led me to where I am today. Here with you guys. So, um, I was thinking about what you're saying about creative writing and going into environmental education with that. Have you ever thought about doing grant writing for nonprofits? Have you ever looked into that? I was nearly given the opportunity to start that at one of my last jobs um, at West Cave Preserve, which if um, any Austinites are familiar, that's out in like Round Mountain, Texas, uh, right next to Hamilton Pool, actually. It's yeah, on Hamilton Pool Road. It's a beautiful private preserve. They've been running since 1974. I was an educator there for multiple years. Um, and they had a big section of what they did as a nonprofit that was, you know, grant funded and you needed to do grant writing to receive this money to continue our um, community outreach programs to fund um, the entire property, our conservation department, education department, everything. Um, I've always wanted to get into that, but I was never as strong of a business and technical writer. Um, as I could have been poetry or just, you know, writing for fun stories. I really enjoyed and I had more of a knack for, but that's definitely something in the professional world that I've always been like, you know what, that would be fantastic if I could help benefit my current, you know, place of work, my resume and just the people in my community by getting grant money in. But grant writing is not easy. There's a lot of people out there that try and that don't succeed. I mean, and especially in the climate of everything going on today, there's only so much money right now to go around. So I know my old nonprofit is, has had its struggles um, throughout COVID, but they're definitely bouncing back and have depended a lot on, on that grant money to, to still function for sure. You ever thought about writing a children's book? Do you want to write one with me? Well, I mean, I guess <laughs> we could. 
I, don't I think you I, could do the art. I could do the art. Um, yeah. What What did you write about? In, I'm just so curious. I'm like, I'm besides the poetry. Like, have you you do? Did you write stories, or was it just focused on that aspect of poetry? And because I'm thinking, I'm like creative writing. Like, I'm not a creative writer. So, <laughs> what does that look like? I wrote mostly creative nonfiction, and creative nonfiction is Whoa. nonfiction that is supposed to seem so, so, so real. So, like Henry David Thoreau or Ralph Waldo Emerson. Yeah, and all those. Okay. Yeah, cool. like stories like that. I mean, well, poetry like theirs, and they had wonderful stories as well. But um, in in reality, there was a lot of um, different authors that aren't coming to mind for me right now, unfortunately, but that were instrumental in me, like really learning about creative nonfiction. Yeah. And it's, and I realized, you know, oh my gosh, some of my favorite books are all creative nonfiction. Like most books are created that are fiction are creative nonfiction, you know, other than like sci-fi and things of that nature, you know, stories about everyday people with everyday struggles, or even some that have you know, very cryptic and at times um, disturbing struggles, like people that have mental health problems, people that have, you know, seen like great losses and stuff like that. But, you know, humanizing those characters and turning them into somebody who, you know, is a regular person just like you and I and everybody out there. So I loved writing stories like that. Um, and I've got a couple saved on my laptop still for sure. But I haven't been into that in a little bit because I really did pursue the education route, but I always go back and I'm like, you know, I really loved writing and I still do it from time to time, but yeah, definitely education, environmental education is at the forefront of, of what I try to do these days. I, if I ever wrote a children's book, I would, I'd probably write it in some nerd fashion, like, uh, <laughs> like Captain Survival. Oh yeah. Right. And Captain Survival would have, you know, instead of like a cape, he would have a tarp and <laughs> be like on Multi-use. his use. Right. Right. You see what I'm going with this? I, uh, I and do. he's got like this survival outfit. That's like his tactical Batman belt, but it's just got like Phariseum strikers and <laughs> all these different things. Everything's but then, held together with cordage. Yeah. And, and I mean, think about this. He would have to face here. I am giving away my million dollar idea to everybody who's listening to this, but he would have to face against, you know, enemies like, um, like Dr. Dehydration. <laughs> right. And it would be like these twins, and it was like hypo and hyperthermia. <laughs> oh my and the cape gosh! Would like, You've thought about this a lot. I have. I want to write that story, but I just don't you know. I don't even know how busy I am. Yeah, I know. I'm never stop. I'm sitting here doing a podcast. I could be writing my book. <laughs> <laughs> I know. I should probably just leave now, huh? Let's so go, you can let's jump start right writing on a it. book. We'll just okay. tell everybody what we're writing. <laughs> um, no, I th- I'd be into that. We got to sit down and brainstorm. We got to do one of those mind map concept wall things yes and we'll just make a whole storyboard it can't it can't take that long but it does take some creative wit dude if that freaking book that captain underpants thing can sell billions of copies maybe not crazy millions of copies i loved captain underpants yeah i mean kids went gaga (laughs) over that stuff and i really do think like if it was just an everyday kid who could like turn into captain survival when he would go camping or like this week's adventures of right i think right. I'd, I'd be into that but i loved all those books growing up like hank the cow dog and all that stuff was just so much fun to, to read is your fun bozing over there turn that off put that on the Sorry, ground mr chris put that on the ground <laughs> um and yeah so i'm i'm definitely interested in doing some creative writing with natureversity because that would be fun well i know that not everybody listening in i'm sure he's mentioned it before um but i'm sure a lot of you have not seen uh chris's extensive book collection that he has in his office here but um i mean he could fill a whole library i mean he could teach you could just give one one of these books to this is one shelf there's a whole (laughs) other is there a few is there stuff upstairs too oh my gosh but yeah no a lot of these books are um, extremely informational and you know well written there's stories there's stuff about you know all aspects to bushcraft survival native plants um, medicines all sorts of things what do you think one of your favorite because i'm always wondering actually i haven't asked you before what do you think one of your favorite books on that shelf is Oh, it's got to be that Coyote's Guide book. That Coyote's Guide to Connecting Children with Nature. Really? Yeah, that's probably my favorite book up there. Um, the other one would probably be Les Stroud's book, Survive, because that was the very yeah. first survival book that I ever got a hold of. And that's like what taught me bow drill. 
Nobody taught me Bojero. I just read that dude's book over and over and really? over. This was like pre YouTube, pre <laughs> no one freaking, I didn't have videos. Like, yeah, it was wild. I was just like, I got to learn this. And then it was, I'll never forget this. My dad, he's, he's probably listening to the, this podcast, but he, I showed him, I was like, Chad, dad, check, dad, check this out. And I was like, watch this. And I rubbed these two sticks together and he pulled a lighter out of his pocket. And he went, I can do that too. And <laughs> That's my dad lighter. right there. This and weekend I was camping. or this last weekend I was camping with my family and I was using a magnesium rod or ferro rod. And it was raining and I had brought a little bit of ash juniper up with me to make a good tinder bundle. And I started two fires in front of my family and they're all like golf clapping. And I'm like, well, who wants to golf learn? Golf clapping. Yeah. <laughs> I'm like, who wants to learn? They're like, I was surprised at how they were, they were impressed, but they're like, you know, like like you said, well, we got lighters. Right. Then I tell and I go, but what if you're in a yeah. survival situation? You don't have lighters. My dad's like, well, I got matches. And I'm like, Dad. But they were they thought it was super cool. But yeah, that's such the dad way. Like, oh look, I can just do it like this. At first, I was miffed. I was like, oh, whatever, man. I just you know rub these two sticks together. You can't do that. But then the the more that time went on, like I thought about what he said, and he's right. You know, because you got to look at it like uh, practically. Mm-hmm. You know, energetically, what's our number one rule of survival? You know, conservative energy. Conservation of energy. Yep. And uh, I would not get down on my hands and knees and do bow drill if I could flick that bick. <laughs> <laughs> oh my I just God. wouldn't do it. The way that was said. <laughs> Gabby. <laughs> well, I'm just saying. It's true, though. If you, uh, That's Chris's biggest rule in nature versity with the kids, with the teachers, because we're outside within every a, in everything, in every single school's rule is conservation of energy. So that is that is a good point. I see I, what you mean. I would hope that it is anyway, because I don't know what else uh, animals would be doing out there other than conserving their energy when trying to survive. Yeah. Um, some of my other favorite books over there on that shelf are the like legend and lore ones. Mm. So like the legend and lore of the uh, Central Texas wildflowers one. The, um, oh gosh, what is it called? Remarkable Trees of Texas. That book is amazing. It's just the right. background about the historical accounts of how these trees were used like Osage, you know, making barriers and things like that. Um, you, you said something earlier. It just made me think about it just now when I said Osage, cause that's the name of a tribe as well as a tree. But what did you say you lived on? 1818. What is it? North Oneida street. You know Oneida. What? Uh, Oneida. Yeah. Ah, see, she did recognize it. Now, when you heard me tell that story about Hiawatha and the peacemaker and the Iroquois Confederacy, and you heard me say Oneida, were you like, <gasps> I yeah, I wanted to say street. something, but we're in the middle of a story. I know. Yeah, but, but it cool is that neat. You, you recognize that. And now it makes sense because I remember where I said they were from is way up there in the north. Mm-hmm. And so, yeah. You just, connected that. I didn't learn that until this job. Wow. I didn't I didn't even know that they were a Native American tribe. I didn't Oneida. know that. I had no clue. So that was a really cool little sprinkle of wisdom. But it, it's cool that, you know, everything kind of comes back around. Like I've always remembered that address like i don't even remember my first address when we did move to texas i remember 1818 north oneida so i think that was cool that did come back up i just like that word oneida it's a beautiful word it's a it's a fascinating word oneida (laughs) (laughs) um so you got out of college what year did you graduate college uh just this last spring spring 2022 and when you and just to, you know, again, walk me through this college experience that you had. When you were going through college, were you like, these are the jobs I'm setting up for myself. This is what I want. What were what were the jobs you were hunting? I was looking for environmental writing jobs at the time. Yeah. And looking to be an intern somewhere. Or, you know, we would constantly send in work that we did to get published. And you'd get rejected nearly 100 percent of the time because you're a college wow. kid yeah it's but it's it's not disheartening it's almost like inspiring because you know you can get published for your writing you know that you can you've seen it happen and you know the professors really guide you through that process but it's all trial and error but i i really saw myself going into that role so i searched a lot on indeed linkedin Uh, handshake, all the good services that you can use to look at jobs. And there just wasn't anything that was standing out to me. And so I kind of looked back on previous experiences working with kids. And I was like, you know what? I I should look up environmental teaching jobs, like outdoor rec jobs. Um, Because I've done that before. I feel like I'm qualified to do it. And then I did that as well at West Cave as an environmental educator and as a ranger on Concordia's campus working with 
um, the public when they would come to events like Nature Fest and then all the freshmen when they'd be in their life and leadership classes, which were these mandatory classes that talked about life as well as leadership and we'd bring them down <laughs> into the uh into the preserve and we'd teach them all about geology hydrology biology and so i was like you know i want to be a teacher i want to be a teacher somewhere and so i was on indeed uh looked up outdoor teacher i think is what i did or environmental educator and i was scrolling through everything and this job kept kind of popping up but i was like i don't know i just don't know about that name but nature versus nature really? I was like, I don't know what that is because it, it just was something that interested me, but seemed almost out of, because it's such a strong name. Honestly, I, I highly respect the name nature versus Like this is a collaborative effort of highly skilled, very well naturalist educated people that are teaching others about nature. And I was just like, I don't know. I clicked on it. Like the second time I saw it, though, I didn't ignore it for long. I clicked on it. I applied and Chris, you called me like the next day and you were like, Hey, love. <laughs> so I was like, Hey, what's up? <laughs> what's up, Gabby? And I was like, Hey, oh my gosh. And you asked for an interview. We had a almost a two hour long interview outdoors. You quizzed me on so much stuff, but you asked like my life story and had me, you know, tell a story to you. And I really appreciated that too, because it was, it wasn't in any way informal. If anything, it was you like truly wanting to know your teachers or the people that you were thinking about hiring and like really connect with us. So it was a great interview. And I just, I mean, he immediately called me and said, love everything you have on your resume. You got cool experience and I love that you're interested in the job. Do you have any questions for me? And I was like, yeah, I had a few. And he goes, awesome. Well, if you're free, you know, Friday at two or whatever, like, you know, come on out, like come to Mary more and, and we'll do an interview. And, and that was, that was it from there. I was like, this is where I gotta be. This is awesome. So, Good. Yeah. Well, that makes me happy to hear you say all that. I don't think I've ever heard it put in such eloquent ways. Well, you know, I'm a brown noser too. So I just want to, I'm kidding. (laughs) Stop saying that. Eloquent ways. Whatever. Eloquent. It was. Oh, well, thanks. I mean, it sounded like there was a lot of intention and meaningfulness behind, you know, getting an opportunity. Uh, Yeah. It's funny. People say that about Natureversity a lot. They're like, what is up with that name? (laughs) It's almost, it's almost daunting a little bit. You're like, that seems really high level. You know, it's not, there's so many other nature schools that are just built around, you know, I mean, their name at least is like one or two words that like, like, like one of the, a great nature school in Austin, Earth Native. Um, You know, there's, so many other programs in Austin that have very simple names, but natureversity sounds like kind of regal, like kind of strong. And I'm not going to lie. It is. It's a cool <laughs> place, <laughs> but like, it feels like you're stepping into something, but, and you are stepping into something so much bigger than yourself because the education that these kids are getting is so deep, so meaningful. Like it's all about them and their journey and their experience. And it's not, it's, it's so adaptable and so malleable to what the kids want to know. And the teachers are just like, boom, we've got every resource these kids need in their pockets. And I can't say that for many other nature schools. Like we are so extremely flexible with these kids and they, that's why they keep coming back is because they love the teachers. They love the culture. They love how accepted and how they feel when they're there. And it is it is a pretty high up place. It is pretty regal. In my eyes. I think that I do think the name fits now. But yeah, I, I know that people have said that before, like Natureversity. I think what it was a, a joke that I started telling people oh, they were like, Where'd you go to college? <laughs> I was like, University of Nature. Nature bro. oh, is that really how it how yeah. that started? I think you've mentioned that. That's I funny. was just I would just say dumb things to people because they were like, Where'd you go to school? And I just I didn't know what to say. <laughs> Cause I didn't go to school. I was like, uh, university of nature. And, uh, <clears throat> yeah, I don't know why I picked that name other than I just wanted it to encapsulate the essence of higher education. That's not like, think about, <clears throat> I guess the typical run of the mill environmental science class you take. They're like, this is an insect. This is a flower. Yeah. This is a, you know, whatever. I wanted it to be, you know, 101, 102, 103, 201, 202. You know, mm-hmm. I wanted it to be this thing. And yeah. then I always remembered like the University of Texas and it would say at Austin. And I thought that was so neat. University of Texas at Dallas. And I never thought like 
man, if I ever franchise this thing, it's going to be like Natureversity at Dallas, right? <laughs> Just like the University of Texas is and you right. know, all these other places at San Antonio. So I kind of just wanted that um, aspect of understanding what it is we're trying to do. And I I knew I hit the nail on the head when I got to hang out with that guy, Richard Louvre. Mm-hmm. You know, he wrote the... Yeah. Yeah, yeah. You hung out with him? Mm-hmm, yeah, oh, I brought, well, I brought all the staff to go hang out with him and meet him at a little meet and greet wow. at... Was it Book People or Thinkery? I don't remember. Oh, but we all got to hang out. And afterward, it was over. And we were... Oh, it had to be Thinkery because we were all drinking beer with him. And Even I was better. like... Yeah, I was, awesome. I, we were just chit-chatting and he was like, yeah, he's like, I just want you to know. He's like, um, he's like, I've been doing this a long time, this environmental education stuff. He's like, but I think that Natureversity is the coolest name for a nature school that I've ever heard in my life. He's That's like, that really one, cool coming from him. He, I know. What I was like, whoa. I was like, dude, I could die tomorrow and say I live the best life ever. And uh, <laughs> yeah, that was when I knew like, okay, I'd did it well. All my friends mock me and laugh at me because they're like, it's too many syllables. <laughs> Nay-ch-er-ver-si-ti. What's that, five? Five. <laughs> it's like, <laughs> that is a lot. It kind of gets stuck in your mouth a little bit, but it makes you remember it because it, it's going to take you a while to say it, so it kind of sticks in your mind. You're like, okay. Yeah, people, people butcher it when they spell it all the time, too. But <laughs> that's okay. I don't, don't take it personally. Um, well, we... Yeah, we have a lot coming up. And what are some things that you're looking forward to in this job? So you you, you want to tell the listeners you've gotten to spend how much time with us so far and what have you been doing? Yeah, so I've been with Natureversity with Chris and the crew since um, early June, end of May. So I've been June, July, August, September. I'm not, hey, I didn't graduate. Math is the worst. Four. (laughs) four, That's why I went into environmental stuff. Um, Four months, about four months with this crew. It's a good thing we don't teach kids math. (laughs) Yeah, you want to hire me. Or do we? Or do we? Well, sometimes, maybe. We do. We do. Yeah, we've got it all going on. Um, But no, I've been with this crew about four months now. And uh, I was mainly... Um, here for most of the summer. So I did all the summer camp that we had um, over at Roy uh, G. Guerrero in the uh, southeast Austin area. And uh, those were fantastic. And I think that was a great introduction into some of these um, higher level technical survival skills that we're now implementing this fall. But those were really fun times. I mean, we were out at the water every day swimming, um, working on, you know, our, our typicals, our big hitters, shelter building, knife carving, fire making, archery. Um, am I missing one? I can't, I don't think so. Throwing sticks. Throwing sticks. Sneaking, stalking. Yeah. All the cool slingshots. Oh yeah. Like yeah, boat, boat racing, native plant identification. I mean, it was so, uh, so many Mustang grapes eaten. Um, <laughs> the kids just went bonkers for the Mustang grapes. Um, but it was a really fun summer getting to know the kids and the staff. And now... That we did like a two week training, yeah. Go to to get all the new staff and the current staff prepared for the fall. I mean, it was a pretty intensive training, but totally necessary and got us like way in gear for this fall. Because I mean, everything that we did in the summer is just like amplified. And these kids are coming in with so much naturalist knowledge already. Some of them are brand new. Some of them have been coming here for what, like seven, eight. Yeah. I mean, some of the kids are like, yeah, they're like, who are you? <laughs> and I'm like, I'm Gabby, you know, I'm, not, I'm like, I'm Gabby, who are you? And they're like, I'm, I can't, I'm not going to name drop. I don't, I'm still getting to know the kids anyway. But uh, no, they're like, I'm so-and-so. Well, I don't recognize you. And I'm like, oh, okay. Like, is this your first year? Is this your like second year? And they're like, I've been here seven years. Yeah, and they kind of look at me a little and I'm like, that is amazing. And you are going to have to teach me everything you know because they know more than me they do like it's some of the most niche things that I've never gotten to see kids do other than what I saw kids do and what I got to do a little bit growing up like I've never been to a place where kids are like making traps and making these amazing carvings and all of this like natural paint and can just identify anything and are just so inquisitive and interested with things around them that they're like I want to know what that is like these kids are like nearly catching armadillos these kids are like can walk around barefoot all day. And if they can at the start, they can by the end of the day. I mean, so they're, they really inspire me a lot and I'm excited to see where this fall goes with them. Um, because we're just bringing Cam and I, like Chris said, we teach the uh, owls and the eagles. Um, 
And, um, I mean, they, they come in really excited and they're young teenagers or, you know, just at the end of like their main part of childhood, childhood. And so their eyes are so open and they're so ready to experience something like really great. And so we just bring everything to them and, you know, we're there to support them, but they really are their own. We, we like to say, you know, uh, see one, do one, teach one. Mm-hmm. So we can just show these kids one time and then they get so excited to do it. And then we go, well, what do you want to do with this knowledge now? And they're like, oh, I don't know. And I'm like, well, why don't you go help so-and-so with that? Mm-hmm. Um, because they really seem to need help. And you have now gotten to the point where you're so good at this that you can start teaching too. I mean, giving them that confidence and the leadership to be like, okay, I'm going to go teach now too. So it's a whole different dynamic than the summer, but it's still all those same concepts. It's just even more deep, even more fun, so much more play, so much more, you know, imaginative um, exercises. Um, We like to do, Cam and I are really into the scout thing right now and talking about, you know, the essence of a scout which um, Chris can explain so much better than than I can because I just learned about, you know, the scout mind and what the scouts represented in a Native American culture across the or in cultures across the world. Um, and it's all about being sneaky, cunning, warriors, you know, extremely deep knowledge of all of these naturalist concepts and being able to try to do everything from basket weaving to cordage to like I said earlier, to making traps, to natural fishing methods and all these other primitive skills, um, we're getting them into that and we're gearing them to become scouts. And there's so many, you know, we want to honor them as they continue on this journey to becoming these really young, really passionate naturalists. And so we're just like figuring out all these awesome lesson plans every Tuesday for ways to get them even more engaged and more excited to be outside. So it's been really, that was a big answer for that, but it's been really fun so far. A really great time. I'm really excited for the fall and for the spring when we get all of our um, big heavy hitter wildflowers out and I can just do everything with those wildflowers. So I'm excited for that. Definitely. I'm excited for you. Yep. No, it's good. I'm <clears throat> glad you're getting to share your passions with the audience. And I mean, a lot of parents listen to this. And I know mm-hmm. sometimes the kids do. And they're going to be eager to get to have you as their you know, facilitator for the year. So when you went through your first week of summer camp training, um, what did you feel like? Were you did was there Was there a moment of you that was like, dang, I wish this was kind of like how my college environmental science classes were. Yes. Yeah. Actually a lot of, a lot of that. I, I felt very welcomed first and foremost by, you know, Chris and by the other, you know, staff in training, the other teachers. Um, but I felt like I kind of, this is going to sound cheesy. I felt like I came home. I felt like I came back to my roots, but for the first time as a young adult, you know, just freshly graduated college and, you know, looking back now at my experiences that were hands-on in school, yeah, I got to do a lot of hiking. I did a lot of uh, uh, data and science-based stuff, um, research, well, of course it was science-based, but research-based stuff <laughs> when I was on campus, <laughs> but I didn't get to do anything that had to do with educating others and teaching others really um and being in a community of people that are always collaborating and brainstorming the extent you go through in college with collaboration and brainstorming in the environmental science kind of realm is going to be research projects data collection um creating um you know uh, large swaths of information to then present to you know, the faculty and students at little, you know, uh, environmental science or science symposiums at the end of the semester and and things like that. But it was never, it was never to this level of like just walking in and I felt like there was a part of my kind of ancestral nature, a part of my being that was coming out and being like, you actually know how to do all this. You've just never gotten to do it. You've just never had the tools. It was really meaningful and impactful to me. Like I always tell my other um, teachers, I'm like, and we always agree, you know, this is, this is our vocation. Everyone that's here at this job has been called to be here through whatever means that is like we feel at home here. And so, yeah, that first week was challenging. No, I couldn't get a fire started. (laughs) Megan and um, who is one of our old teachers and, you know, Jade, one of our current teachers, they were just like, 
going crazy on fires. I couldn't get bow drill the first day. I got so, or one of the days we did bow drill for training, and I got so frustrated with it. And Chris was right there, and he was just like, you you can't force some of these skills to come out. This is your first time trying things. Give yourself a little bit of grace and a little bit of patience and ask, like ask Mother Nature. Ask Mm the people around you for help but really you know ask mother nature can i please receive the gift of fire and we have mm-hmm. so many stories we tell the kids when they get frustrated too about um you know having you know you know, humbling yourself before nature like you're in their house you're dealing with its elements you're dealing with things that um are definitely most definitely part of you but that you're not in control over so you have to be able to to receive the the power and the gift of things like fire of things like you know knife carving shelter building everything like that but for the fire aspect that was really hard for me at first so this job taught me a lot of patience that first week of training I was like if I I would I'm not a naturally very patient person I think Chris can probably um uh, you know tell um but it it really brought that patient side out of me and I realized you know I have to hone in these skills and if I'm gonna do that I really gotta just find that humility and find that humble part of myself that's like you know what I'm not in control and I embrace that so whatever's coming at me I want to harness that power whoever's giving it to me if it's mother nature please give me that power because I'm excited to show and teach kids that so fun first week though that was before it got like a hundred six degrees it was it the grass that was bad. that's before it got like nah it didn't get that bad this summer we were in Maybe the water we were in the water so we didn't know the difference we were always chugging water but what do you feel like after <clears throat> so you got a chance to do one week of staff training which was the further camps and then you did you know eight to ten weeks of actual summer camp training i'm just curious what would it have been like if i was just like all right we're starting homeschool go and i didn't give you that two weeks of <sighs> training <laughs> Um, that I, that would have been hellish. I mean, it would, cause there's so many resources. Do you think, do you, think you could have jumped in and done it? Uh, I, you know, I think I would have tried, but I don't think it would have gone as smooth. I mean, we've only had a full weekend at this point of recording. Um, but I don't, even with this first week, I don't think it would have gone smooth at all. I think a lot of us come in, a lot of this, uh, teachers have big personalities and are really, outgoing and really excited to teach these kids but we all kind of have our own style so like what chris does is he creates this little like framework and he always calls it like holding the cup so we hold the cup for the kids when we're teaching them and we keep them interested and engaged and we have the resources for them but chris holds the cup for us and he like has us in a space where we can ask these like really big questions and always ask the why and the how and the when do we do this and what is this thing in this box in his garage and he's like I'll tell you what that is right now I'll tell you what that is that's what is that stuff um soapstone I'm like what is soapstone he's like no watch this he got like a little like pump drill thing he just like makes like a little holter and he goes and now it's jewelry. And I'm like, how does he know all of this stuff? But it's really inspiring for the staff. So I think with no, without that training, we would have definitely done not as smooth with some of the stuff. Because we just need those resources. Mm-hmm. And you just have those wealth of resources in your home and in your garage. So I, I we appreciate just... that training. That was super important for this school year, definitely. Good. Yeah, I hope that that training just goes with you for the rest of your life. It was not even about the kids in general. Like, it's really that training. Uh, I think I'm going to do it again, but only I'm going to condense it down into two days. So anyone who's listening and wants to go through this training, October 5th and 6th, I'm going to be doing a teacher training workshop for outdoor educators here in Austin, Texas. If you want to get registered, just send an email, info at natureversity.org, and I'll send you the details. But I really want all people, like, first of all, it's really weird for me. I'll just be honest, when I was growing up and I was 18 and 19, like, I didn't want anything to do with kids. I was like, I hate children. Why do (laughs) I want, you know, why would I be a teacher? But I remember, you know, taking these tests in middle school and different things, and they always pegged me for like an educator and I was just like no no I don't want to do that and so somehow um, I found myself in this job and you know what was fascinating to me was when I kind of accepted like okay I'm probably gonna be a teacher in some way shape or form I don't know how but a lot of my family they were entrepreneurs they were business owners so I knew I wanted to do something as along those lines too but when I got into this teaching thing I was like I want to teach like art 
I want to teach yeah. science. I want to teach language. And I want to teach all these things. And I was like, man, there's no way to do all those. Can't do all those at once. Why would you tell yourself that? Well, that's what exactly right. And so then the moment that I learned um, animal tracking, mm. I was like, oh, wait a second. And there is this book. Um, it is called, I believe it's called The Origin of Science, if I'm not mistaken. But uh, Louis Liebenberg and a couple of other gentlemen helped co-write this book together. But <clears throat> if you think about it, wildlife tracks are only written in one place, right? They're written in the earth. And so it is the oldest language in the world. Mm. I mean, before people were communicating, we were looking at animal tracks in order to sustain ourselves with the sustenance of being an animal and us eating it, tracking it down. But then through that, it became you know, this science. So this language turned into this science that you could then distinguish between, oh, well, those are deer tracks and those are moose tracks and those are elk tracks and those are nilgai tracks and those are kudu tracks. And you just go through, right? And now, but eventually you get so darn good that you can look at a herd of elephants tracks and be like, you see that track right there? That's that bull standing right there, you know? And it just takes it to me to a level of what I would call that's an art. Like that is an mm -hmm. art that you are able to extract that information from an animal track to such a degree that you can pinpoint that bull right there because of the scars that are on his feet that I'm aware of. And I don't I don't think a lot of people realize that 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 it is an art because it is so neat. It's not, you know, pen to paper, but it's a it's a cultural and ancestral art form. Yeah, like exactly. to know and to be able to like form that shape in your mind we always talk about like mind's eye imaging but chris is able as like a master tracker he's able to don't call me that well he's like yeah i mean master does <laughs> i <a> master guess tracker. <laughs> but you can look at tracks and be like do you see the outline do you see which way it's facing do you see that it's pivoting or that it stopped here for whatever reason well mm -hmm. why do you think it stopped like look around and you know it's squirrel tracks and then we see that it would have stopped there because boom there's an entire area just nearby that it shifted toward that was like filled with you know fallen pecans or you know just yeah. there's so much that goes into it so i think that's interesting you call it an art form because uh, yeah i don't think a lot of people see it that way but it is but that's how i felt the very first time i got to teach animal tracking i was like whoa it all coalesced into this moment of dude i'm doing it like i get to teach art mm -hmm. i get to teach a language and i get to teach science and so that was a really unique step for me and I wanted to give that to everybody who came through the school so regardless of whether or not you're one of my teachers or you're just a student in general I mean you've been to the Buzzmill and Lumber Society classes I'm constantly just trying to make people those are great yeah uh, just I always say just a little bit better you know than when they arrived and um my my friend Sam Kaufman I think he was the one who actually said it the very first time like this he says you know I want you to be the best person that you can be just in case you find yourself in the worst situa situation you could find yourself in. Yeah. And that was my goal. So beyond you being one of our teachers, like I want this training that I gave you for those two weeks and the week for summer camp too, to stick with you for your life. Because when you leave here, um, as I told you before, there's one thing that all of y'all should do very well in life. And that is learn to manage others, you know, yeah. like whether you're the leader you can always start at the top when you have those skills. And it also just makes you, you know, I don't know, that presence. Remember that presence talk we had about your passion and your confidence and how you portray yourself and all of that stuff. So, yeah. I think it will. I think I think it will because I find, you know, I, I, and I love to be like a sponge of knowledge. I've always enjoyed being around people that, and everybody should, you know, enjoy being around people that know just a little bit more than you about things that you're already interested in because then you can meet them where they are. But I, and I know all the other teachers agree, like when we leave work, our brain doesn't turn this stuff off. Anytime we're outdoors, I'm like swimming or hiking or I'm around uh -huh. my family. I mean, I've, we've had the lease. My family's had a lease on the Brazos River for years now. And every time I go up to Cleburne, um, which is um, a couple hours northwest of Austin, beautiful area of the hill country every time i go out there you know we're on the jet skis or i'm fishing or i'm running around on the on the four-wheeler and i'm just i'm just having fun but i'm not like i haven't been as much as i could have been 
deeply connecting with nature. So the last couple times I've gone, I've gone on these like really long, like nature walks, no shoes. I'm out there. It's muddy. Sometimes it's smelly. Um, and I'm just looking at stuff and I'm checking everything out and I see tracks and I follow these tracks and I look up in the trees and like, what's above me? What kind of bird is that? And I'm like, man, I never did any of this. Like even when I was studying for my degree in environmental science, I never did all of that all the time, but now I just can't stop and I don't want to. Mm -hmm. It's fun. It's fun to know that you're growing and that you're learning in a field that you didn't expect to do. I thought I'd be an environmental educator. I wanted to be that really bad. Did I think I was going to be a survival skills teacher? (laughs) No, I didn't. So it's fun looking back and being like, dude, you've come so far. And I'm, and I'm excited to say that I know that all the other teachers feel the same. They do the same thing. They're like, we're always in the group chat. Like, look what I saw today on my walk. And we're like, whoa, we weren't doing that a few years ago. So it's cool. It's just downright cool. Well, is there anything you want to leave us with? Anything we should follow? Should we follow you on the gram? You want to le- drop us your, your deets? You can try. Yeah, I'll, dr- I'll drop some info. You? you can follow me on Instagram. I don't do that much on uh, I don't do that much on there. It's Gabby Caraballo. G-A-B-B-Y-C-A-R-A-B-A-L-L-O. Long last name, but hopefully you won't forget it. Follow the Natureversity Instagram if you don't already. Follow any of its media pages if you don't already. You'll see all the cool stuff that the kids and the teachers are doing. And hopefully, like Chris said, pick up a little bit of something along the way just for yourself that you can bring forward. So um, we're going to be at a couple events. Hopefully you'll see yeah. us at the Pecan Street <laughs> Festival coming up. 17th um, and 18th, yep. Pecan Street Festival. Of September, there. right? This mm-hmm. month? Awesome. This month, This weekend. This weekend, yeah. Oof, and then we have the twenty third. We'll be at the Austin Zoo. Um, that is from I believe ten a.m. to two, ten to three, somewhere around in there. And then Mom's Night Out is in November. That'll be fun. That'll be so much fun. And then we have Kids Fest also in November. And if you're listening to this, don't forget to buy your tickets for Sky Earth uh, Family Gathering. Yes. That is coming up October 5th through the 10th. If you know what Rabbit Stick is, if you know what Winter <laughs> Count is, this is the Texas version of Rabbit Stick and Winter Count. So I will be there. Um, if you'd like to be on the podcast, I'm bringing my podcast equipment with me. And Ooh. if you want to do an interview, just give me a shout out. Teachers will be there um, if you want to meet us and learn some more from us as well. um, We're all excited to go out there with you, Chris, and and be a part of that. It's going to be so fun. So, Gabby, thanks so much for doing this. Thanks for having me. I appreciate it. Me too. We'll see you next time. (laughs) Yep. Take care, everybody. Bye-bye. Bye.